Hello, hello, hello. My name is Ben Hopkin, and welcome back to my podcast, Acting Without the Drama, where we keep the drama on the stage and in front of the camera and out of our personal lives. So today we are finishing up the talk about communication. We started off by talking about objectives and conflict, and now we are going to be talking about internal obstacles and verbs. Yes, fascinating. So we are going to start off by talking about internal obstacles. Once we've established what our objective is, that grounds us in the reality of the scene. Once we know what the character wants and we take that want on as our own, we essentially become that character. Our wants define us as human beings. Once we make that character's wants our own, we're right there with them. And now I've got to ask the question, is that enough? Conflict in its purest black and white form will yield us a lovely melodrama if we don't temper it with some humanity. So that raises the question, what is it that makes us human? Well, again, when I ask that question, the answers that I get back are kind of endless. They say that what makes us human is our intellect. What makes us human is our ability to love. What makes us human is... And all of those answers, actually, you can find in the animal kingdom. I see emotion in the animal kingdom. I see thought in the animal kingdom. You can't tell me that my dog's not thinking. So what is it really that makes us human? Well, I'll just cut to the chase and tell you what I think. I think that what makes us human is our ability to doubt ourselves. Now think about this just for a minute. How many things are we really 100% sure of? And I'm going to give you another example to help sort of clear this up for you because you've got many people out there that are, no, I know stuff. I know stuff. I do. I'm 100% sure of this. I know it. I know it. Let me ask you the question. What is 2 plus 2? four, right? No question. I'm sure if you were here, you'd probably tell me that you were 100% sure that four is the right answer. But what if Stephen Hawking, now, if you know who Stephen Hawking is, he's a famous quantum physicist. If he were to come in here and to tell you and to demonstrate for you with equations that two plus two doesn't always equal four, you might not be convinced that it's true, but wouldn't you start to doubt yourself just a little bit? And for crying out loud, if you can doubt that 2 plus 2 is equal to 4, my contention is that you can really doubt anything, which is great. I believe that one of the only reasons that we really listen to one another is because we're not sure that we're right. Would we ever stop talking if we were really convinced, 100% sure, that what we were saying was accurate? The reason that we stop, the reason that we allow the other person to speak, is to see whether or not we're actually convincing them, to see what their response is going to be. If we were 100% sure, I don't think we'd care. If we knew for a fact that we were right, we probably wouldn't pay too much attention to one another as human beings. So, in practical terms, again, bringing it back into the practical world, for every objective, there must be an equal and opposite internal obstacle. There has to be some doubt that goes directly against the character's objective. Otherwise, the character's just going to be two-dimensional. Not really human, not really believable. If my objective is to convince you that I know what I'm talking about, which may or may not be true, 
But if my objective is to convince you that I know what I'm talking about, then my internal obstacle would need to go directly against that. It could be that I'm afraid that I don't know what I'm talking about. It could be that I'm horribly shy and I'm afraid that you won't listen to me because I'm so awkward. It could be that I feel that I'm terribly ugly and that you won't be able to pay attention to my words because you're distracted by my hideousness. If a lover's objective is to convince the woman that he loves that she should be with him, his internal obstacle could be that he's afraid that he won't be able to make her happy, which you actually see played out in real life all the time. You get these men that won't commit, and most of the time the reason that they won't commit is because they're afraid they're going to hurt the person that they love. I'm not going to say that that's true with every guy, but that's true with a lot. So, now we know what our character wants, and we know our internal obstacle. We're grounded in the scene, and we're human. Again, i got to ask the question, is that enough? Is being realistic all that we need? <laughs> well, let me ask you another question. Is it believable that I would pick my nose? Yeah, that's a believable thing, I would, I would say. I don't do it often, but yes. Would you pay $10 to go see it in a theater? Probably not, unless you're a little strange. It has to be interesting, or else we won't care. So, how do we make it interesting? Verbs. <laughs> what? Yes, verbs. I know it sounds a little strange. Let me give you another example. I love examples, if you haven't been able to figure that out already. You've all seen, when you go to the grocery store, a mother with her children, and they get to the checkout lane, and what is right there in the checkout lane? Those grocery store owners, they understand marketing. There is candy, and it's right at the eye level of the children. They're walking in, they go, oh, candy. And so what is their objective? What do the kids want? Candy. I want to convince mom to give me candy. The internal obstacle could be, but I'm afraid she probably won't. So what is the first thing that kids usually try? And, and no, they usually don't throw a fit first. The first thing that they usually do is they just ask, Mom, can I have some candy? And the answer, of course, comes back, no. So next, most of the time, they go for the begging, for pleading. Please, can I have some candy? Please, 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 please. And the answer that comes back, no. Next comes bargaining for most kids. Mom, if you buy me candy, I will be so good. I will clean my room. I'll do whatever you want. And after the no answer comes back, the final step is usually blackmail. If you won't buy me candy, I'm going to throw a fit in the middle of the store until you do. What did they do in every single one of those examples? Every single one of those stages? They asked, they begged, they bargained, they blackmailed. And what do each of these steps have in common? For each of those steps, the kids were playing a verb at each step. And not just any verb, but an active verb that you can do to someone else. Each of these verbs was a tactic or an action that they were using in order to get their objective. The other thing to notice is that the verbs changed when the kids realized that the tactic wasn't getting them their objective. Each of those tactics is what we call a beat. You'll hear beat used a lot when you're working with other actors, with directors, and it's kind of this amorphous term that 
very few people take a second to actually really define. So a beat is essentially a thought. It's an idea. When the idea or the thought changes, the verb changes with it. Now the verb can stretch over an entire paragraph, over an entire page, or it can just be for one word. Actually, it doesn't even have to be for a word at all. It can be for just a thought that goes through your head. A little facial expression can have an entire beat, an entire verb to go along with it. The important thing to remember about playing these verbs is to make them very specific. The more the verb gives you a mental image, the better it's going to be to play. You can question someone as a verb, and think about that just for a minute. Question, does that verb give you a really strong mental image? But now think about interrogating, or testing the waters, or begging for information. Those are all forms of questioning that are much more specific and give you a much stronger mental image. I mean, those should have immediately given you a mental image. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is that you should actually be doing these verbs to the person you're acting opposite. If the verb is punch, really punch them. And you're punching them with your words. I'm not really suggesting that you punch the other person on stage physically. You're not showing the audience that you're punching. You're punching the other person with your words. If you're showing, basically it's going to come across as fake, as forced, as false. Because you're hiding behind the verb instead of really using the verb to get what you want. Now, you want to remember that everything we've talked about up to this point is just a way for us to be able to talk about what communication looks like. We are establishing a vocabulary that we can use so that we can intelligently talk about something that most of us don't really think about most of the time. There's nothing magic about this. It's just to help us identify what happens normally in any given conversation. We're breaking up a natural process and we're breaking it down into unnatural little pieces and trying to mimic them in our acting, which it's not natural. It's also not the end of the process. One of the things that I talk to my students about all the time is to say, these are exercises that I'm giving you. These are tools that I'm giving you. And you practice, you practice, you practice, you do it again and again and again and again. And ultimately you incorporate it into your body so that your very bones know what this whole process is. So that once you've got it in there, basically your body takes over and it tells you what to do in any given moment. Once we've established that sort of baseline, my body knows what it's doing and it's going to take over, we just let go of the process and we just go after what we want in the scene. The verbs are simply there to mimic our own natural impulses. If you watch people when they're having a conversation, when they're having a fight with someone, you will see each impulse, each thing that they go to do, if you were to sit down and really map them out, you could find a verb, an active verb, to place onto each one of those impulses. So playing these verbs is just a way to basically prime our engines. It's using that little, you know, the little pump, the little primer pump, to get just a little bit of gasoline in there, to learn how to be more active and specific. And then ultimately, once that is really in our blood, we simply use the natural impulses that come directly from our bodies when we're truly connected, when we're truly pursuing that objective. So we've picked an objective, we've picked an internal obstacle, and we've started using verbs. The one other thing that I wanna to talk to you about is playing the opposite. 
So when we start playing the verbs, when we first start off with this process, what we generally do is we pick something really obvious. If the line is, I hate you, and the objective is, I want to convince this person that they are nothing to me. If that's my objective, and again, the line is, I hate you, most of the time we're going to go for a verb like to punch or to pierce, something that really seems like it matches. But sometimes using an unexpected verb can be much more effective. Using something like to befriend or to comfort when saying the line, I hate you, at first glance, it might seem like it wouldn't work, but in reality, it can actually be much more effective. If you're punching someone, I hate you, I hate you, you can feel how that actually kind of diminishes your power. But if you're just gentle and comforting and soothing, I hate you. No, really, I do. You can feel how that just, ooh, it digs the knife in there. So as long as you have picked a playable verb and you're channeling it through your objective. Now, this is a really important part. As long as you've picked a good verb and it's going through what you want as a character, you're using that verb to get what you want, it will always work, no matter how much it might seem like it won't. This is one of the grand keys to really having vibrant, real performances, is we think that we're very limited. This is the grand key to acting, really. We think that we're so limited. I can either do this or I can do this. We have maybe two or three choices if we really stretch. But the reality is we have an infinite number of choices in any given moment about how we want to pursue our objective. If it's connected and motivated, you can quack like a duck and make it work in a scene. There really is almost an infinite amount of choices that you can make in any given moment which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It allows us to be us, to be truly us. So we've talked about the internal obstacles, and we've talked about the verbs, and we've talked about playing the opposite. And I just want to really connect with you finally and say, this is a process that has been enormously valuable to me in my acting career. It's something that has really helped me to grow as a performer, and it's also helped me to grow as an individual. I am really glad that I've been able to share these things with you. The next podcast, we're going to be talking about commitment, which, as I said before, is the glue that holds together the connection and the communication. It's kind of the final piece of the puzzle that we have to put into place to make sure that we're really delivering as actors. So join me next time for that. Your homework for this time is to go out and, you know, I told you that you needed to pick objectives and to start looking at the conflict in scenes. And now I want you to start breaking it down into the little thought beats. Break it down piece by piece and find the individual thoughts and try to find a verb that would go along with that. Figure out what your internal obstacle is. What is it that's keeping you from going 100% in the direction of your objective? Remember, when you are speaking your lines, you are playing your objective. When you're listening, you're playing your internal obstacle. Once again, this is Ben with Acting Without the Drama, and thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to our series, Creating Without the Drama. For more information about this podcast and many others, including writing without the drama, please go to www.creatingwithoutthedrama.com.